Hola mi gente, hey my people, welcome to my podcast de Ni de aquí, ni de allá, which really translates to nor from here or there. The reason why I decided to name this podcast Ni de aquí, ni de allá is because I wanted this podcast not only to represent who I am, but also the people that I will be bringing on. And for this episode, we're going to be speaking on DACA. For all the ones that don't know what DACA stands for, it means Deferred, it stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Now, when President Barack Obama, um, which was launched by the Obama administration in 2012, really calling out the un young, undocumented people to be a part of this program and which really guaranteed them protection from deportation and allowed them to work with work permits. Now, um, we're going to dive deep in learning the experiences of a two DACA recipients um, and their experiences in our higher education systems. They were allowed to stay here and um, be a part of the United States, but we're really going to see if these institutions that they went to, whether it was community college or four-year college, are really making them feel like they belong. A little bit about my research in um, DACA students, I was really hoping to find how DACA students really finance their education. Um, a lot of them were not allowed to have FAFSA, which is financial aid, or scholarships, or sometimes they're ne never even aware of it. An article that I had read, Lo que en realidad quería hacer, which translates to what I really wanted to do. Um, this article really speaks on what some teachers had to settle down for when they studied in college because it was so costly to pay for many years of college experience. So they just became teachers. And so I wanted to see and hear from these two young ladies that I would be interviewing, if that's the case, did they also have to settle for less because of the triumphs and barriers they had to face? Now, before we begin this podcast, I really want a chance for you, my audience, to actually listen Listen in and hear who I am interviewing. Um, you will get to meet two amazing women. And here's the first one. Mia. Um, so my name is Mia. I am currently a DACA uh, dreamer. I, my highest level of education is an, a, an associate's degree uh, in business administration. Um, I live in Massachusetts. And yeah. That's my small intro. I'm currently uh, in the tech space um, as a sales engineer. And yeah. And number two, Julie. Uh, my name is Julie. Um, I am a DACA student. I came to United States when I was 15. I was sent by my mom because um, because at that time it was kind of hard to go to school. It was kind of dangerous, so she decided to send me here by myself. Um, so since day one, I started going to school. Um, and just, I was an honor student all my high school. Just when I tried to go to college, I realized that I needed papers to help me um, pay with my education um, because I was being charged uh, um, international. Um, uh, my major is uh, accounting and that's a little bit about myself. 
How did you financially support this process? Was it, did you sure. get any additional help and even for lawyers? So um, I think it's very important in this topic that I mentioned my brother. Um, as I mentioned, he's seven years older. And at the time, he was applying uh, to colleges. And I was very young just watching his journey. Um, so I didn't, at the time, I didn't understand what a dreamer was, right? Um, so... So watching him go through this process, he was a grade A student, Boston Latin graduate um, at the time, and he got a full scholarship to Boston University. And then I want to say like three months into living in the uh, dormitories, he got his scholarship removed um, because they found out he was DACA. So full boat, all gone, sailed away. So um, that was my first shock um, because I knew the benefit of, of DACA, right? The employment authorization. But at that age, um, you get your first job, you're excited. So you didn't really know until you get to college. So then it was my turn. And um, I, you know, had a job at the mall. Um, so I wasn't making much. And I started thinking, you know, if he didn't go to school, how am I going to get there? Um, so, of course, I had a counselor dedicated to me, um, but she didn't really know much of it either. Um, DACA at the time, I don't know whether it was um, just not popular or, or not a lot of people in my school, maybe. I, I don't know uh, what could have been, I guess, the not having the knowledge. I'm not sure, but um, sorry for the lack of words here, but um, I got accepted to um, UMB, <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure UMass Lowell, um, one of the two, and I think it was some other school, I don't, I forget, I'm sorry, but um, Salem State, that was the one that I really wanted to go to, but I just couldn't afford it, um, and my parents, I remember that I was told that there could have been like a financial option, but I think my parents made a little over the threshold, which is kind of crazy to believe um, because at the time it was just a, a difficult time. Um, so yeah, so I went from having a mall job to leaving that and finding, you know, the restaurant industry. So I remember going, I, I graduated in four years so what should have been a two-year process for other students that had financial aid um, because of the fact that I was initially splitting this cost with my family I would go to school take I want to say like three classes four classes split between the week but then leave and drive into the city to uh to work so that happened for about a year or two um but I wanted to finish, right? Um, I wanted to continue and get my bachelor's. Um, and that was the goal at the time. So I remember I had to, I worked for around two years as a waitress. And then I got another job for about a year or so um, as, yeah, as a server again, until I found tech. So when I started off, I started off in sales. So I worked nine to five, and then leave, get home, and start my class at like seven or eight, do my homework, go to sleep. Um, so it slowed down the process. And that was like 
I want to say like a year and a half uh, duration. But at that point, I was paying for it on my own. So that was a big chip off my shoulders because asking for your family to pay thousands uh, every semester is extremely hard. Having two jobs, going to school, and especially at that age and studying, um, the studying, I remember being up until two, three in the morning just to go and be at my my school, uh, at my college at 8 a.m. 8 and just arrive back at home again at two in the morning just because either I was getting home from work or I was getting out of my computer room. So yeah, that's my story. And, and very expensive and um, really like now going into like finances, thinking about how you pay for your college tuition and DACA on top of it. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, um, how did you finance your education and maybe how hard it was? Um, be honest with you, at some point I thought of quitting because not only I had to spend the money that I was saving for my daughter to go to college, but also because I didn't find help to guide me through the process at school. Um, I actually um, had it to work two jobs uh, to pay for each semester. And last, my last year on college, um, I actually asked um, someone if I could apply for a scholarship, which covered like pretty much my whole uh, year. Um, but it was not easy to get. I had it to like, like I attend page essay and I actually wrote about like you know being undocumented going back to school after 10 years and trying to like apply for like financial aid and realize that you actually couldn't and um, how hard it was to actually get help when you were part of the DACA even though there were so many people let's say like oh they help you but I don't think they actually like have like a guidance how to like apply or where to get the help or where to go things like that uh and they make make it seem so easy uh and then pretty much get stuck so what i did is like part of it i pay it by working two jobs and the rest i just pretty much spend my savings but yeah at some point i thought of quitting because i was like I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Now, I do want to share um, something I think that's very powerful in one of the um, articles that I read. Um, so from Rasa Williams, um, it's called Interrupting the Cycle of Warning, Financial Implications of California Dream Act in the Lives of Undocumented College Students. Now, one of the key results that I, um, they found was that the lack of access, well, quote, quote, the lack of access to financial aid is one of the most significant barriers that undocumented college students face as they navigate college. Now, as we think of this, like we need to think. Um, now, I want to remind you, DACA this- started with the Obama administration in 2012. Now it's been a total of 10 years. 
And we have not fixed the problem or found a solution of how students actually access any financial support on their college campuses. We're not promoting equity with undocumented students. Access and inclusion does not mean leaving it upon the student. And some of you may be thinking, well, our university, our colleges have these programs. Yes, but how much are you actually promoting it and making it feasible and easy for students to access? Not just because we have the programs doesn't mean that students can actually access it. So we really need to think about equitable outreach and really targeted outreach when we really think about our undocumented students or DACA students. No, and until this day, a lot of people don't even know. Even the banks, when you're trying to get along, they don't know what DACA is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the school actually had like a few flyers and when you try to like go into like the link, it was like a whole process. It's confusing. Um, so the only thing I did, it was like actually apply straight uh, forward to the website scholarships that they have there, not especially uh, scholarships for DACA because they weren't, they were not easy to get access to it. So that's what I did. I just sort of went into the website from the school, pick up the scholarship that I thought I might qualify and just apply. But it was not meant to be for DACA. So there was nothing on like the website that says DACA recipients can apply to this, like in big letters to tell you, hey, this is for you. No, no. For a lot of them, you had to have uh, like, uh, like really hard requirements in terms like, um, exactly, but I think one of them, you have to leave like in certain cities some of them you had to be straight out of high school and i I had a 10-year gap so i know it was not gonna be easy so i found one with the city of chelsea that said continuous education uh, and uh, you get like each semester if you maintain this amount of like gpa i think it was three point something uh which was high yeah um um, you can actually reapply it, and that's what I did to cover my last year. Mia, I do want um to go back to one question just to clarify. Sure. Um, when you graduated with your associates, did you not continue because of the financial barrier, or was it because of other reasons? So, um, I was introduced um to tech. I went into a sales position and that was my final year. Uh, so when I, by the time I was about to graduate um, and get my associates and I couldn't, I couldn't fathom going another year to more. Um, I definitely know it wouldn't have been two. It probably would have been around five um, going into school and, and f- I mean, sorry, not five, four, um, but going into school and doing night classes um, and starting off my career was just so important to me um, just because I didn't have the opportunity to get my bachelor's degree because I was able to get um, 
a solidified position with them knowing that I was going to graduate in May, in May at the time, 2015. Um, so at the time, I think that it was just important for me to mm. start um, my career. Um, I can't say that it's something that I regret, but I also, as I mentioned, it's something that I'm going for now um, that I see the, you know, the stability um, that I have now and in the time that I have now. Um, but got to push myself there, right? So we'll see when that happens. Yeah. But definitely a goal. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Mia. I'm Julie, did you ever have any on-campus employment? Yes. Uh, actually, I had um, a job there. And they were, like, actually really helpful in terms of, like, making me feel like I did belong to the school. It also, like, gave me the opportunity to, like, study and actually kind of work. And make you know a little bit of money um yeah because i i couldn't i tried to be part of the stipend now a lot of students always have to see someone at career services or their counselor advisor did you feel like they knew how to help you no they actually messed up because um I thought I was good in terms of my classes. Like, I only had like uh, four left my last semester to graduate. And I thought, oh my God, I almost done. Just to come to realize that I needed last minute to squeeze another class if I wanted to graduate on time. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it was only the person that I was like in charge of, like, the account department that uh, was doing that because I even had the paper writing down like this semester you're gonna take this class and this that in that semester you're gonna take this class and this class and then last semester I thought I was in good standing uh, to graduate but then last minute I found out like I was missing one class and if I didn't take it like I had it to like wait another year pretty much to graduate. So what I did the impossible and I actually ended up graduating. But yeah. Yeah, I feel like they don't they don't they don't look at those things. Like they don't look at you like, oh she's a DACA student, like let me share these resources or let me guide her through like uh, how to, to get access to this um, I don't know help or because they know uh, or maybe they don't even know my that's my thing um that we don't we can't apply for financial aid so they cannot help us through there to actually um pay for school yeah. so but there's no like guidance i, I didn't feel it's maybe i don't know maybe it was just me now so something about maybe it was just my personal interest that really came from having to read uh, a lot of these articles was uh, none of them really identified DACA students. Um, they were really put under this bigger umbrella of undocumented. So I asked both of these interviewees, Julie and Mia, did they feel undocumented or they identify as undocumented? 
you'll be um really intrigued on their answers because I was actually I was actually surprised. So here we go. Here are their answers. I was actually surprised at what they had to say, and I think I understood where they stand. And I won't give you their answers. So here, let me play a snippet about Julie and Mia's experience of, or Julie and Mia's understanding if they were undocumented or identifying as undocumented or DACA. Do you feel that the word or the term undocumented fits you? It's a great question. Um, I want to say yes, just for the simple fact that it's but a check checkbox away. Um, you have to check the the alien right, and then it asks for your um, the alien checks bo- checkbox. Excuse me, and then it asks for your USCIS number, and you go through that process. Um, so, I do want to say yes, but at the same time, on the other side of the coin, no, just because I know how privileged I am to be able to drive and not look at my rear view mirror or to be able to, to work in tech. Right. Um, and knowing that my brother, uh, at a young age couldn't right um, until DACA came out and gave him the opportunity to do so and, and, and be where he is now. Um, and for both of us, I mean, um, as both of us working in tech, um, one of us working at Salesforce, um, and both undocumented dreamers, that's huge. Um, so I don't, I, yeah, it, it is bad to say yes, or I guess not bad. I don't know, insert whatever word. Um, but at the same time, no, because I, I acknowledge the privileges that I have because of that document. Um, but yeah. Julie, a little bit um, about your DACA experience. How many years have you identified as a DACA recipient? So I would say I've been having DACA for a little over nine years. I would say like it gave me some sense of, I would say like, relief at some point i would say because i thought it it was gonna take less time for me to um get to what i wanted to be um but um it kind of turned out to be like kind of like a nightmare kind of thing because speeding or something like that like every time i was like asked to bowl not bowl because i'm I'm uh, um, my life. Now, first, I felt like um, I was part of still my country, but with that guys, I felt like no, I don't have a place. Like I don't belong over there, but I don't belong over here. Um, and the hardest part was to come to the conclusion that now I have kids and uh, I couldn't go back home even if I wanted. Um, but DACA also made, didn't make me feel like um, I belong here. Yeah, it's like temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Now this question's for you. Do you feel undocumented? Yes. 
I think it's even worse than being undocumented because at least you're undocumented, you know, like where you stand. But with us, it's like one day they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna help you. And the next day, no, we don't know. And then we're gonna include you on the bill. No, we don't. Then you're gonna be deported. So it's like- Doing is being part of the scheme game of having to navigate the economy to be, to be able to financially stable, um, having to navigate this economy to be able to financially sustain themselves. So this research really talked about the scheme game um, and how students navigate the scheme game to try to, um, how students navigate through the scheme game of an admissions process and paying for their own education. And that is something I think both Julie and Mia had to do um, they were navigating through the scheme game of understanding how they should financially pay for college, how to navigate the classes when they weren't really being advised correctly. Um, moving forward, I am going to be um, playing snippets of them talking about their experiences and actually having advisors, counselors, career specialists not helping them, um, which is very actually saddening as a practitioner myself. Um, we are trained to do many things on a college campus, um, but I've never been trained how to really help a DACA student. Now, the passion that I have for a DACA student really comes from just being a Latina myself and that being reflected in a lot of my family members. But that might be the problem these students are facing. So here's a snippet of Julie and Mia's experience. We touched upon this issue. The problem stems from lack of knowledge. And I think that what you said was was spot on, where if we are looking at resumes, we also need to make sure did, did what you said was that um, specific to this to this comment as well um, to I think that the problem in itself and the issue stems from lack of knowledge. I think that focusing on a path for one, for them to understand that there is employment, there are ways to help them pay for school because school is extremely important. And especially in, you know, in, in Boston or yeah, in Boston or, or, or cities like Boston, there is a lot of employment out there and we do qualify, right? We are capable of getting these positions. And a lot of them ask for for their, you know, graduation certificates. So it is important to finish through. But the issue starts with the counselors. The issue starts to starts with informing these students that there is uh, you know, a, an amazing feature out there, but let's talk about how we can finish school first and options for to pay for it. Um, because that lack of knowledge from my, my counselor um, definitely extended a few years, I mean, you know, prolonged a few years in my career, um, not only not being able to, you know, work in school and possibly have that money go towards my my education or quite literally having enough money to add more classes into my schedule. Um, and there are so many options that you and I can talk about. And I would have definitely been able to shave off a few years and started my career early um, or 
quite frankly, what I would have wished for if I had some of these options was continue my education and get my bachelor's, uh, which is something that I'm looking to do now, right, um, at the age that I'm at and the years of experience that I have at work. Um, so, yeah, I think emphasis on the fact that lack of education or, or lack of information about DACA um, and, and making sure that after learning this information, passing it on to the students, because again, a lot of, a lot of these kids are young and, and, you know, they don't quite know what is available uh, for them, whether it be um, their, within their future careers or even different paths to be able to finish um, this education. Um, and whether that information is passed down to um their high school counselors or their college counselors if they're in college and they found a way to get there they found a way to pay for it initially i do feel that if you are um if you are how would you say paired right with a student uh, or a few students i think that you should um definitely do your due diligence as a counselor and make sure that you learn about how your students got there, I guess. As I reflect on both of these interviews, I really have to say we failed these students. We failed to promote the program services and we did, we made it difficult for them to navigate our education system. And they're not the only one students till this day feel that way so you my listeners if you're an audience member you're an administrator you're a practitioner or you're a student in higher ed really ask yourself why are these spaces challenging to navigate what are we doing wrong muchas gracias till next time